Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and once again, welcome to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, nine volumes available in paperback and ebook at Amazon. And if you're a Kindle buff, you can read them on Kindle, available at Amazon also. And for you audio files, one through eight are available in audio format at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. And don't forget my latest book, UFO Sightings and Encounters, Volume 1, W.J. Sheehan, available at Amazon. So check out a copy over 50 accounts in there from around the globe, including my own, and I guarantee you won't be disappointed. And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you, brother? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? I'm doing even better because the Yankees are laying the wood to the Chicago Cubs tonight. I know it's like eight nothing when I shut it off to start this, <laughs> which is good. Old Jordo Montgomery is throwing the ball right. too, which is good That's to right. see. Welcome to the Bronx, bro. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Or is it Brolinsky? <laughs> good yeah, stuff. Yeah, you know I. I was driving home from Manhattan, as you know, because we spoke before when I was coming down 2nd Avenue. And uh, nothing like having a ball game on when you got a long ride, you know? Oh, it's great. I, I mean, there's nothing nothing better than listening to a great podcast about Bigfoot with two brothers talking when you're on a long road or listening to your favorite uh, team play uh, play a game over the radio. yeah it's all good it's all good so what do we have tonight kev i understand you have something interesting for our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment yes tonight bill we are going back to the sky Uh, i love the sky we're going to talk about a ufo video that was filmed back in august August the 27th in 1995 by a man named Tim Edwards in Salida, Colorado. 
Wow. Okay, yeah. 95. So what are we talking about, uh, 22, 27 years ago? 27 years ago. So this is uh, pretty cool footage. I know you've seen it. I Usually my brother and I, or my brother doesn't know what I'm going to talk about. I don't know what he's going to talk about either. But if I want him to watch a video so we can talk about it, I tipped him off to this one a couple of weeks back that I was going to cover it. So uh, hopefully he did his homework. <laughs> yes, I did. Very yes, interesting. Did. Very but don't good. let me don't let me head you off. We'll okay. get into it. All right. So first off, we'll start with where the heck is Salida, Colorado, because I didn't know. But it's uh, west of Colorado Springs in the state of Colorado here in the U.S. of A. And it's in the Rocky Mountains there, uh, again, just west of Colorado Springs. The video is very cool. It's shot during the daytime with, uh, it looks like, a video camera by this gentleman, Tim Edwards. And uh, they're out in their backyard, and he's looking up at the sky and sees this thing, and he takes this six-minute, very clear videotape in broad daylight with the sound on, etc. And I say they take this videotape. It's pretty cool. So Tim is out there with his daughter, sounds like a little girl, you know, maybe eight or nine years old in the background, and she's asking questions about spaceships and, uh, you know, like, Daddy, do spaceships get bigger when they come at you like that and then get smaller? <laughs> you know, it was, right? It was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. And then also it sounds like Tim's father is also there looking at uh, this uh, sighting and making comments about it. And he's looking at it with his naked eye at times, and he sees other things in the sky that Tim can't see because Tim's looking through, I think, the old-fashioned viewfinder of yeah. a, uh, you know, a video recording device. <laughs> so super Yeah, cool. real interesting. Yeah. yeah, 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 and you know they're looking up, and I'll describe it to the folks, Bill, and you can add any color uh, that you like. But it's like this horizontal uh, cigar-shaped object, so like parallel with the ground, and then it appears to have, and it's kind of silvery, but it also appears to have these like vertical stripes of light that are uh, blinking, and that uh, across the cigar shape. And uh, it's in the viewfinder, again, for six-plus minutes. It's definitely not like uh, a smoke ring or a weather balloon or any other kind of mylar balloon just hanging out. This really looks like something that is uh, an unidentified flying object. Yeah, uh, when you look at it, Kev, you're definitely looking at something from, I would say, a side-on view. Right, and it ha it has defined edges to it. When I say edges, I mean like looking left and right. It looks like it's uniformly thick, whatever that thickness may be, because we have no idea what distance this thing is being seen at. Right. So I mean, you uh, know, you're so you're saying it probably, or it could be like a flying saucer shape, uh, or a flying disc shape, and we're looking at it from the edge. Yeah, like, uh, just look at, uh, you know what it looks like to me? It looks like a fat poker chip yep. looking at it from the edge. Yep, exactly, exactly. 
And uh, the whole time they're looking at it, it's from this, what we're, what we're saying is an edge view. Of course, we don't know for sure, but I would agree with you. I would say it does look like an edge view. Um, and, and the poker chip is a good example because like the poker chip has those uh, uh, vertical uh, uh, engravings on the side of it. That's kind of where the lights are on the on the edge of this uh, UFO when he's filming it, right? Like kind of as a good description to the audience. Yeah, and you know, it to me it's never really in fantastic focus because as the little girl was saying, she was basically talking about what was going on, which was it seemed like this thing was like Starting forward and backwards in the lens of this video recorder at like a ridiculous rate of speed, like a finger snap. Right. And it was it was close and then a finger snap and it was away and it moved a little diagonally and then the other way. You know, it was really yeah. hard to kind of focus on. Yeah. And his father mentions, Tim's father mentions that uh, it appears to be moving 100 miles in two seconds at one point across the sky. And of course, wow. Bill, one of the tests, right, when you when you see these interviews with the uh, UAP or UFO experts now, one of the tests that they give people is uh, to, you know, to qualify if they really are seeing a something uh, like a spaceship or a UFO. They say, does it move unlike any other aircraft that you have knowledge of? Yeah. And this yeah. certainly does. Like, it seems to zoom in at them and get bigger and then zoom away and then also dart across the sky as well. But it's tough to see that in the video because Tim does a really good job of zooming in on it to give us a good look at it. You know, but the trade off is if you're zoomed in on it, you can't see it moving or where it's moving around in the sky. Yeah. Now, that that quantifying aspect that you just spoke of is a little bit erroneous because some of these craft fly very slow and hover. Uh, so really the only way that that could be used is in a high-speed setting. In other words, does it move faster than anything you've ever seen before? Oh, no, but irregular. You know, irregular. So if it yeah, moves... Yeah. All of a sudden, it goes straight up, straight down, right, left, you know, yeah, disappears, yeah. reappears, you know, uh, um, you know, at another point in the sky instantly, you know, that kind of a thing. You know, that would be yeah. foreign to us in terms of saying that was some type of known aircraft. And then yeah, the other thing that goes on, right, is the father <clears throat> is talking about that the craft is appearing to emit glowing spheres at time. And, uh, you know, and, and he'll say, like, did you see that? Did you see that? And and uh, his son will be like, no, no, I didn't see it. You know, and then once in a while in the video, you can actually see these orbs that appear to uh, go around the craft. Yeah, now, to me, I understand because we both saw the same thing. Uh, to me, that one bright light is one singular bright sphere that seems to be going around it almost like it's attached to it on like a rail, if you will. Yeah, yeah. 
because it, it goes around, it kind of disappears behind, and then you don't see it like, and then it comes around again. It's like a steady moving orb of light uh, circumventing this thing. So I would say it has to be a sphere or, or circular for that to occur. But I could be totally wrong. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't go around in the same axis. So it's kind of, you know, varying its orbit around the device when when we yeah. see it in the video. So, uh, you know, again, also indicating that we're seeing something. We don't know what the heck it is. You know, not an illusion or something like that. I don't know. I never saw yeah, anything no. like this before. And um, it's very strange. It's very clear. I know you said it's a little blurry, Bill, but at times it's super clear. It's broad yeah. daylight. You can see the edge of the house at one point, like the edge of the roof line, when uh, yeah. it moves to a different position in the sky, and that's in the corner mm-hmm. of, the, of the video. And then you can hear, like the audio is fantastic. You can hear them talking, as I mentioned, but then you also hear a small airplane take off and like fly over the house, like it, maybe mm-hmm. they're close to an airport or something like that. And then yeah. you also hear this like cracking sound continuously in the background i don't know if the neighbor was getting a roof and that's the the nail guns going <laughs> off or uh or they live down the street from a shooting range i don't i don't know what that <laughs> yeah. is yeah yeah and whatever that small plane was that took off or flew did a f- flyby was close to them it sounded like it was right over their house you know but yeah. They, yeah again they didn't even mention it so which led me to believe they probably live near a little airport or something like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a regular happening, yeah, you know. Because, you know, you're looking up at the sky, you'd think you'd mention it if that was not the normal thing. Yeah, and, you know, uh, the blurriness that I spoke of was the inability of the lens on this 1990 camera, whatever he was using, to keep up with this thing darting yeah, in and out. Yeah, to lock in on it very quickly. Right, right, yes, right. Exactly. It was happening too quick for anything of that era, Yes, uh, in my opinion, to just catch it and stay on it, you know? Well, heck, that was like 100 years ago in 1995. <laughs> Technology-wise, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, my iPhone takes better pictures than my old uh, uh, Nikon camera took, and that oh, was yeah. an expensive 35 mil semi-auto. You know, the cameras, uh, the, the camera in the iPhone uh, or the Google phones, et cetera, they are just fantastic. It's amazing yeah. the quality. <laughs> yeah, and you so. just hold it up, man. You don't have to be a photographer or anything. You hold it up, put it on portrait panorama whatever you're gonna do and just go for it and they all come out great yeah so but super super good video i will post it folks under this episode uh episode 154 on bigfoot uh again under the episodes episode 154 i will post a link to this youtube video um, it is fantastic, and uh, you got to check it out. And if you've seen it before or even after you see it for the first time, certainly let us know what you think. I mean, one of the tests of these videos for me, it's like a simple uh, test, is I look at the comments, you know, and see if anybody out there uh, that's way smarter than me and way more of an expert than me uh, points out what's wrong with the video. And I really didn't see anyone say anything like that in this video so uh it's 
pretty cool, but I'm curious what you listeners think, our, uh, our field experts out there. What do you think? And certainly if you have seen something like this anywhere, but maybe you've seen it around Salida, Colorado. Maybe you saw it then on August 27th, 1995. Give mm-hmm. us a, a little note. Send us an email at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Contact us and let us know. Yeah, that's a fantastic video as far as I'm concerned, Kev. Yeah, yeah. And uh, people are getting videos he, then and now. Uh, there are things coming down the pipe uh, then it's just a question of uh, examining them and what do you think? You know, uh, I, I've told, said it many times before, one of the most compelling Bigfoot uh, uh, videos I've seen lately was that Craven footage in uh, Alberta. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was good. And uh, I thought that uh, Swamp Ape uh, piece that you picked up on uh, down in Florida yeah, in the that, Glades. That one's fantastic, too. And I, I love that one because I think that's the one where the guy, when the thing stands up and he sees how big it is, he just basically runs. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is what I would do, too, by the way. I'm not, yeah, making, you bet, I'm not making fun of anybody. No, you bet your buns, man. I'd have wheels. <laughs> my shoes might fly off my feet. I'd be moving so yeah, fast. The old cartoon sound. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. yeah, that crazy drum beat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they did that. I'd like to see what they were. You know, they had all kinds of gizmos and gadgets they were using, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, it, it had to be a drummer on some weird little pipe or something to get exactly. that strange sound. Exactly. I don't, I don't think it was a, a fancy uh, synthesizer or anything back then. Yeah, no. You know what I think it was, Kev? I think he might have had... Do you know one of those uh, hollow wood items uh, that s- they run a stick across to make that grating oh, sound? Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. I don't know what they call that, but they're hollow, and if you hit them, they have a unique sound to them uh, uh-huh. that can only be produced by that, you know? Uh-huh. Anyways... Who cares, WJ? Shut up and get on with the story. <laughs> so what kind of terrifying account do you have us for, to- <clears throat> for tonight? Well, <clears throat> what I have here today is happens to be a favorite of mine, and I'm going to tell you why. This account is indicative of the raw, pure, unadulterated power that this creature we call Sasquatch, Bigfoot, possesses. I've talked to many hunters, avid woodsmen, questioning them about, for instance, what would it take to pull the hind quarter off of an elk? And to a man, the answer is, really impossible you'd probably have to hold it with a chain around it to one truck and wrap a chain or a hook on it whatever you could do to another truck and have at it and hope that that worked without ripping the animal in half or just yanking its head off Mm. but the power that these creatures possess is unbelievable And this was told to me by Cedric Shaughnessy, a resident of Minnesota. This is what Cedric had to say 
about his and his wife's encounter January 13th, 1992. At that time in my life, my wife and I were newlyweds, having just been married in the summer of 1990. We had purchased a previously owned home in eastern Minnesota, which was about 15 miles or so away from where both of our parents lived. The house was a small ranch-style home, which had a detached two-car garage and a small, well-constructed barn in the rear yard. The gentleman that we had purchased it from, being a welder, had used this barn as his shop for many years. We had only been living there a short while when I purchased a used, top-loading freezer from a local resident. This freezer chest was the size of two large refrigerators lying on their backs, and I think the capacity was 50 cubic feet, or thereabouts. The top of the freezer consisted of a single, large, lid-type door, which had a very beefy latch assembly on it. You remember these, Kev, the old Frigidaires with the big chrome clasp. Oh, yeah. And uh, everything on the front. I, I know exactly what this guy is talking about. I had added a rugged clasp and a master lock to make sure that nothing could or would get into the freezer chest. This was to be my venison locker. After our first full year in this home, my locker had been well stocked with a variety of butchered meat from the various hunts that I had been on. In the winter of 92, January 12th to be exact, I was in the shower when my wife opened the bathroom door shouting, Honey, I just heard some loud noises coming from the backyard. Now, I'm in the shower soaking wet with soap all over me. And I said to her, what kind of noises? She said she heard a loud cracking noise followed by a bang of some kind. I turned the water off and quickly tried to dry up. Just so you understand, you don't run outside wet in January in Minnesota. It took me about 15 minutes to get dry and dressed. After turning the lights on in the yard, I went outside with my flashlight and my 20 gauge. In my yard, I had a pair of floodlights on the back of the house and an additional pair mounted over the entrance to the barn, both of which had been turned off when my wife had heard the noises. As I went out the back door, I noticed immediately that the barn door was wide open. I should also mention that we hadn't had any recent snow, and the ground was dry and frozen solid. 
I slowly moved into a position where I could see inside of the open barn. Expecting at any moment that a bear or something was going to come launching out at me, but nothing happened. The barn was empty, but on closer inspection, I found that the large latch on the freezer chest had been damaged. There was a huge dent which had buckled in the top lid of the freezer. As I looked around, there were no visible tracks of any kind. Exiting the barn, I could find nothing whatsoever in the yard either. So I went back inside of the house and called the cops. The police came by a short while later. I reported that something had broken into my barn and attempted to steal my meat. What else could I say? The policeman and I had both taken note of the fact that there were no claw marks or scratches on the freezer's paint, which would be indicative that, say, a bear had more than likely been the culprit. The policeman told us to keep an eye on things and to call if anything further happened. It was the very next night, January 13th, 10 p.m. exactly, that my wife and I were sitting in the living room watching the news when I heard what sounded like a metallic cracking sound coming from the backyard. My wife and I looked at each other at the same time as if to say, here we go again. Quickly putting on my boots and coat, I simultaneously flipped the light switch and opened the back door with my 20-gauge in hand. I was hoping to catch the culprit in the act, but nothing could have prepared me for what happened next. I had exited the back door and turned on the floodlights in virtually one fast movement that had taken only seconds. Now standing on the back steps, I was looking directly at the barn door which once again was open. As soon as my eyes were fixed on the door, a huge Bigfoot with glowing red eyes leaned out from behind the door looking directly at me. I squeezed the trigger. The beast let out a scream that was unimaginable, and I heard my wife scream in the house virtually at the same moment. I knew I had hit it squarely with number six shot right in the upper torso. The beast immediately retreated into the barn. This was followed by a large crash which sounded like a wrecking ball had hit the barn. And that was followed by a couple of loud groaning sounds which were now fading into the backwoods of the property. Stepping now off the back stairs, my wife was now at the door, screaming at me not to go any closer. I told her I have the gun, and I'll be all right. As I jumped in front of the open door, ready to shoot again, the barn was empty. A large section of the back wall had been entirely blown out. I'm speaking about broken boards and splinters a sight which one would have to see to believe. 
The barn was constructed of two-by-six walls that were exposed and uninsulated on the interior. And the exterior of the barn was finished in three-quarter inch thick clappered. This beast had torn through it like a shower curtain. As soon as our eyes had met, I could see that he was leaning over behind the door, exposing only his head, right shoulder, and arm, which was my target when I fired the shot. The door was a full eight feet in height, and his head was just below that height when leaning. The odd thing was that the eyes were glowing red, as if they themselves were illuminated by some source other than the reflected light from the flood lamps. I say this because the set of lights on the barn were above its head and shining away from the barn, while the pair of lights on my house were facing in an entirely different direction neither of which would have been responsible for the degree of illumination which I was seeing coming from the beast's eyes. How this creature could have survived a point-blank blast from number six shot is beyond me. That coupled with being able to blow through the back wall like a bulldozer having been hit was beyond belief. He was standing only 20 feet away when I nailed him with the shot. The next morning, I called the police. After having closely examined the damage to the barn's wall. When the cop arrived, he couldn't believe my story or what he was looking at. The beast, on its second effort, had actually torn the lock clasp the lock and clasp off of the freezer chest and had this time gained access to the meat, which was the noise that, I had, st- that had startled my wife and I in the living room at 10 o'clock. He had smashed his way through four, si- through four side-by-side, two-by-six studs, spaced 16 inches on center, blowing the siding off the building which gave the appearance that a bomb had exploded inside. The resulting hole in the back of the barn was about six feet wide and ten feet tall. The officer had made a call on his radio telling another unit that they had to come over and see what he was looking at. Apparently, an ambulance crew had also heard the call. For in ten minutes' time, there were four policemen and an ambulance parked at my house. Everyone was completely blown away by my story and the obvious damage that had been done to the freezer and the barn. It was then, as the officers were speaking to me and amongst themselves, that I now was made aware out of their own lips that these creatures were both known and reported to be around on a regular basis regionally. Each of the four officers had something to say in regards to their own experiences of being called to the scene of a Bigfoot sighting or encounter. 
And so it is, in fact, true, although the public is not informed about it, that these beasts are regularly coming in close contact with humanity. That day, it just happened to be my turn. How about that for some action, Kev? Holy moly, you promised... uh an action-packed account with uh, some ridiculous strength, but also some ridiculous size, too. Like eight feet tall, blowing through a wall. And uh, but, but the thing that I'm worried about, Bill, and I know you are, too, is those eyes that seem to be glowing on their own in a nice shade of red. Yeah, and he, he nailed it, right? He said... This is a guy that's obviously taking notes and observing, right? The one set of lights he had was over his head from the back, and the other set shone in a completely different direction. Right. Over the Bigfoot's head from the back, so it couldn't light up. Couldn't couldn't be a source of, like, car headlights in a deer's face, you know? Yeah. uh, But also... The tenacity of the creature, for whatever reason, having failed the first night to accomplish its mission, coming back the very next night uh, to have a second go at it. Yeah, no, that's crazy. They don't fear, man. These things do not fear. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm not even certain they care what you're doing <laughs> or I'm doing or anything. You know, I don't even know if they're thinking about it. You know. That's freaking nuts, man. Crazy encounter. Now, you know, the other night on television, I I DVR a lot of shows. Most of the time, I just delete them. I just don't have time to look at these things. There was one show uh, where on the show, somebody out there probably knows the name of it. They usually divide like an hour or an hour and a half, whatever it is, into like three episodes where they... uh, talk about different odd things, you know. And in this case, it was several Bigfoot hunters in the wood, the coastal woods of Australia. Really? And Yeah, uh, very interesting, and I got to watch it again, maybe tonight when we're done. Yeah. They caught some outrageous thermal of what appeared to be a couple of really large creatures, Guess what? You know, Yeti, Bigfoot, whatever you want to call it. I know what to call it in Australia. Yeah. Would you care? <laughs> I was going to say, would you care to share that? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to ask me to say that one. So, in the latter part of this show segment, they took, they isolated the thermal of this one creature. And then had the thermals of the three guys lined up, like, height-wise, like, in, just in front of it for comparison. Mm. And they had, like, uh, measurements going shoulder to shoulder on the men, which was, like, two feet. Yep. And the height, like, uh, five, six feet tall or whatever. This thing, Kev, was so beyond a, a human being. That when you see it, you immediately understand why somebody would say 2,000 pounds. Sure, sure. 
you know, 10 feet, 12 feet tall. I mean, when you're confronted with something like that, you know, it, it's just, uh, well, I guess you... Well, this one in your account when it broke, well, he said it was like eight feet tall, and then the hole it left after he blasted it and it ran through the back wall of the barn, I think yeah. he said it was 10 feet tall by... Eight feet wide or six feet wide, the hole yeah, in the yeah. wall, which that's crazy. Yeah, it's just punched I mean, through. Like the whole boom. wall is gone, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and studs, two-by-six stud walls were clabbered on the outside. Yeah. I mean, that's you crazy. and I, would we'd have to beat that to smithereens with, like, pry bars and 20-inch framing hammers or something to even attempt to get it loosened up, you know? Yeah, and I don't think we can knock the uh, studs out like that. No, No. not at all. Not at all. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and that's out in uh, Minnesota, the land of 10,000-plus lakes. Minnesota. Minnesota. Very good. Great account, Bill. You promised and you delivered. Yeah, yeah, you know, well, they're out there. And by the way, to our new listeners, uh, take a moment to tell you that, yes, our show is called Bigfoot Terror in the Woods for good reason. I wrote the books. But in our format, we always begin with whatever we pull together for our uh, cryptids in the news and other oddities segment, which could be anything strange and bizarre, as you'll learn listening to our podcast. And then typically I get into a Bigfoot encounter and we wrap our show up with the mail that comes in from you, our listeners. Yep. So uh, I always like to mention that, Kev, because some people are like, And then the other tidbit for all of you um, is Bill and I, we are indeed brothers. Uh, One of us was raised by humans, the other one by Bigfoot. We won't tell you which one. And um, we live about <laughs> 600 miles apart. So we do this podcast recording every week uh, over Skype. And uh, I live down in North Carolina, and uh, Bill lives up in New York State out on Long Island. That's right, brother. So it's all <laughs> good. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do we have today, Kevin? Our Viewer or listener mail segment? Listener mail. We got some good ones this week, Bill. The first uh, email comes in from Weston in Arizona. Uh And uh, his subject is possible Sasquatch experience. Huh. So he writes, greetings, fellas. I think I have a yarn you might like to hear. This just happened to me about a month ago. My lady and I, along with some friends of ours, went camping in Flagstaff, Arizona. And folks, Flagstaff is up in northern Arizona, and uh, it's up at elevation. I think it's probably about a mile high just up in uh, the city of Flagstaff. I've been there many times, especially when I lived in Arizona. And uh, it is a beautiful place of tall pine trees and much cooler temperatures you know not a desert not a desert at all if folks haven't been there Mm -hmm. Um, and this area up in Flagstaff Arizona is home of the famed Mongolian monster which we have covered in cryptids in the news and other oddities but back to Weston he says we weren't too deep in the woods 
but it wasn't an official campground either. We just found a flat spot where someone had made a fire pit out of rocks around it. The night went off without a hitch, and everyone turned in for bed. Winter has been clinging on to us longer than normal this year, so the night was pretty chilly, and to make matters worse, I forgot to pack, to pack the rainfly to the tent, so we were Ugh. exposed to the cool night air, and you could see out of the tent or anything in it. Yeah, that would wow. be a little chilly. Yeah. And he says, at around 3 a.m., I was awoken by the cold. As I was trying to cover the top of my head with a jacket, I heard in the distance what sounded like someone walking on two feet, and it was coming towards our tent. It got closer and closer until it was right up on us. It ran what sounded like a massive hand along the side of the tent. The noise was very loud as it was right above my head. I was absolutely petrified. It dragged whatever it was along the side and just kept on walking until I couldn't hear it anymore. Mm -hmm. I know anyone hearing this will probably say, I would have poked my head out and you should have done that. But trust me, if you were there, you would have not done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good thinking, bro. Good thinking, Weston. <laughs> the next yeah. morning, I asked if anyone else heard heard or got up and, and messed with me, and everyone said they didn't hear a thing, nor were they playing a prank on me. I looked on the ground where I heard the thing, but it was all hard-packed and covered in dead pine needles, so there wasn't a trace of anything. I've been racking my brain over this ever since. It's extremely creepy. Whether it was a, a Sasquatch or a human, there was no one around for miles. Love the show and its lightheartedness. It makes my work days go by fast. Weston. Really bizarre, Kev, right? Yeah. How many times I've been told... That, you know, a Bigfoot ran their hand or was pressing down on the top of a tent. Yes. It makes you wonder, what is it they're doing that they just want to touch it or feel it? Or maybe they see it glowing a little bit. Or And one of our very astute hunters, and again, folks, I'm not a hunter. So I learn a lot from you, the listeners. One of them had pointed out to me uh, some time ago that a bear if it was coming by your tent, would come in low. In other words, it's head down and kind of sniffing down at the human level lying down. Whereas these creatures tend to, like, drag their fingers along the, the fabric or press down gently on the roof while they're, you know, you could hear them breathing or grunting or whatever. Yeah. Can you imagine being in that tent? Uh, it looked, not that the, the front fly or whatever he called it would help you, Yeah. but being wide open with this going on around you at night? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, we were basically in a tent when my kids were little in Yosemite. Um, it wasn't a tent, but it was in what they call housekeeping village, which is down at the bottom of uh, Yosemite Falls, 
on the other side of the Merced River, but right there where the falls are roaring. And one night we were there on the setup in uh, Housekeeping Village, at least if it's, I don't know if it's still that way. This was years ago, and I haven't been there since. I'd like to go back, but I haven't been there since. It's basically three cinder block walls with like a canvas over the roof and then uh, and a dirt floor and four cots that are kind of piped into the walls of the cinder block. And then the whole opening across the front is about eight feet wide. And all it has as a door is a white shower curtain. So there's no door. That's it. Yeah. So the bugs can get in and stuff like that. Critters can come crawling in. Um, And you have a bear box on the outside of the cinder blocks that you lock your food in. And we were sleeping one night and a big bear came up right in front of the shower curtain and he was like sniffing and grunting and that and I woke up my wife woke up thankfully the kids didn't wake up but we were worried the kids had like a Snickers bar in their backpack or something like that (laughs) and uh, the bear we could see him you know uh, like his shadow up against the shower curtain he's rooting around right outside this uh, shower curtain door and then he went around the side and he was banging on the bear box trying to open it and oh, then we heard boy. a uh, park ranger uh, we saw his flashlight and he had seen the bear and was kind of following it and he started yelling at the bear to chase it away but I, I mean like we knew it was a bear but if I thought it was a, a Bigfoot and there was no park ranger around like whoa well, yeah, I definitely wouldn't have went out to take a look at it either yeah yeah yeah, that's when stuff. you want to. That's when you want to have a loaded shotgun. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's yeah, when we you want to have we a park, gun. So there were no, uh, no weapons, no weapons allowed in there. Uh, well, but yeah, wild. None that well, you claim, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, a, it's a hero sandwich, officer. <laughs> 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 why, is, why is that box of mustard so heavy? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 what we call a Luger salad sandwich. <laughs> yeah, wow, Kev, I can't believe that, but I know it's true. I know, yeah, it's it's wild. Wow, uh, man! All right, our next email comes in from Matt, and he writes in. He says. First of all, many prayers for Paula. I'm mm-hmm. hoping Thank that you. I'm, yes, that's that's great. We appreciate it. He says, "I'm hoping that I'm coming out of the right side of cancer right now, and I know how amazing prayers are in recovery." Mm-hmm. I archery hunt for elk and bear in Southwest Colorado almost every year, and I may have had a brief sighting about ten years ago. It seems almost every year, however, we have strange things that we write off as bears, birds, or weird weather. I've experienced strange screaming sounds, falling trees, undistinguishable voices, sudden feelings of dread, and missing elk quarters. You and your brother are amazing, and I absolutely love the podcast. Thank you for what you do, and God bless. Well, well, thank you, Matt. And here's here's the classic outdoorsman, Bill. Right, he bow hunts 
in southwest Colorado, which is a really rural and beautiful place. Uh, but he bow hunts for bear and elk. Like, yeah. Holy cow, you know. Yeah, yeah. Kev, you saw that picture I forwarded you many months ago that one of our listeners shared with me. He bow hunted that big cinnamon-colored bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I looked at that, and when I spoke to him on the phone, I mean, I just, frankly, I don't get it, Kev. No. Because the, the reality is if, if that, if that uh, arrow didn't work and that thing decided to bust at you, well, and I don't uh, you know. think that, uh, you know, from my experience and, you know, from talking to people that uh, uh, archery hunt, it's like, you know, the one arrow may kill the bear, but it usually doesn't kill it instantly. Yeah. So that's, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't get that at all. Yeah, it's got, brave, it's got the, brave folks. Yeah, it's got time to come and get you. You got that before right. It, before it dies. No doubt about it. Uh, that's amazing, man. But yeah, you're right, Kev. Here's 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 uh, one of our listeners, a guy that's out there uh, doing the work, shall we say? Yep. <laughs> wow, All man. Right. That is and our nuts. last yeah, our last email we're going to cover comes in from Scott in Washington State, and uh, <laughs> he's his subject is encounter in Salcom, Washington. Mm-hmm. He says, "Hey, WJ." But he left somebody else out of the greeting, I might add. Kev, it, Kev how, are you, how are you spelling that city? Do you have it written down? I do. S-A-L-K-U-M. Oh, that's what I thought you said. Salcom. Salcom, yeah. Okay. I don't know where that is, but I haven't been there. Uh, he says, hey, WJ, I had an encounter with what I believe was a Sasquatch. It happened at night on our property behind our barn. Sounds a little familiar, too, doesn't it? Yeah. I could not see what it was, but the whole encounter was just so odd. I'd love to share the story with you if you're interested. I've never Mm -hmm. told anyone but my family. I'm a dedicated listener, and I always look forward to new episodes every week. I work Mm -hmm. in public, public service at a state prison as a corrections officer. I feel like being able to tell you the story would be an honor. Thank you mm-hmm. for all you do, and, and your brother have cre- you and your brother have created something amazing together. Well, thank you, Scott. And have you reached out to him, Bill? I know you've been running. Kev, I, I believe I've given my phone number to all three of the emailers that you just did, and nobody has gotten back to me. Okay, all right. So I do, I reach out to a lot of people in hopes that, and guys, if you're listening and uh, you say you didn't get it or whatever, let's do it again, man. Yeah, call them in the middle of the night. Wake them up. Yeah, in the middle of the night. You know. (laughs) Wait outside his window. Wait outside his window. (laughs) Maybe knock on the door as a black-eyed children and say, oh, hello. Can I come in and borrow your telephone? (laughs) I tell you, nothing, I tell you, man, nothing to worry about. Yeah. I just want to use your telephone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's nothing to worry about anymore, kid. Because here it comes. Take that, you little rat! What a creep fest. <laughs> Kev, you know. When I hear, like you said, where have we heard that before about the barn in my yard? Yeah. 
to, to me, these creatures are like a raccoon or any other kind of creature out there. They're, they're rummaging around your garbage. They're looking in your trailer. They're checking out your, looking in your windows, walking around the roof of the house. Yeah, scavenger. You know, scavenger. Yeah, around. checking out the barnyard, you know, whatever. If they smell something, they kind of want to dig around and access it if they can, you know. Yep, 100%. Definitely opportunistic. Good stuff. Well, great podcast, Bill, this week. And listeners out there, thank you so much for the five-star reviews. And we love those super positive uh, written reviews, too, in addition to the five stars where you tell us why you like us and stuff like that. It really makes it nice for Bill and I to see. But more importantly, those five-star reviews are virtually the only way we have of attracting new listeners to the podcast. Because the more five-star reviews you give us, more people tend to see the podcast come up in their search as a quality Bigfoot podcast. So please keep those five-star reviews coming. Yeah, excellent, Kev. And you know what Weston's account reminds me of, Kev? What? The fella in Tennessee that was in that misty little valley with his bow that early morning. Do you remember what he said? No. He said that in that moment, I was wishing I had a gun instead of a bow. Mm-hmm. And to you all listeners, may I remind you of one thing. If you should find yourself hiking through the woods in Salcom, Washington, or anywhere else for that matter, always carry more gun that you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.